Hello and welcome to the Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and today from the Far East, right? <laughs> it's pretty Far East. <laughs> My friend, the guy that has made me win a couple of awards, Scott Stevenson. How is he going? Welcome to the Sanctuary. It's going great, man. I'm glad to, to see you and do the show. Right, man. So, like, you know, first off, thanks for everything. Like, uh, um, man, you know, the man who whispered to flowers um, just killed. <laughs> when, you, you, know, when you think of the context of that movie, you're like, maybe that's the wrong choice of words. <laughs> right, right, right. He did great. He did yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yo, so Steven, like, you know, I want to start like, you know, growing up, did you always want to be an actor or how did that start? Um, that didn't really start until high school. Um, well, just before high school, actually. Um, I always had a flair for the dramatic, I think. Um, but uh, when I was in grade nine, I was a skateboarder. I listened to punk rock and heavy metal, and I was kind of like, you know, long hair and, you know, didn't care about culture. And my grade nine uh, English class went to the high school to see uh, the high school production of uh, Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. And me and my friends mm -hmm. all sat in the back because we wanted to be like, you know, screwing around and super cool. yeah super cool and then as soon as the the lights went down the spotlights went on i was just like what is this and i was like telling my friends shut up man shut up and i'm like <laughs> getting right into dickens and um and as soon as i saw that uh when it came time to choose my high school courses i made sure i picked drama and my mm. my teacher was very very supportive of me and we're still friends today uh, sheila mclean um uh, we still correspond, and she she was she was uh, very fundamental in, in uh, pushing me to maybe pursue it uh, professionally. Mm. So you see, this play basically turned your life around. How was it doing drama in high school? It was. It, it's it's such a great outlet for teenagers. You know, you already have so much pent up angst, and you know, uh, and it's just a great. Um, way to focus all kinds of positive and negative energy in a, in a safe place, you know, and, and, you know, it's an artsy crowd, right? So everyone, you know, everyone was kind of on the same team. It was, uh, it's, it's something, even if you're not, if you, you're not going to become an actor or an artist or a musician, I think everyone should at least take one arts course before they leave high school. Like it should be mandatory, I think. Why? Uh, appreciation for one thing and the other thing is you learn a lot about yourself uh, when you try when you think creatively and I, I don't think I think high schools are putting out cookie cutter humans you know good at math science and 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 that's about it and we need those people but some of those people are being put out like they, they when you ask them to think outside the box creatively it's 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 harder for them and I think that any arts class no matter what it is you, you it challenges a young mind to think originally and there are no mm. wrong answers you know there are no mm. wrong answers they're just better answers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, like did you get into acting right away in high school um, well, yeah, I, uh, after I took the one year of drama that was offered, I did the school plays and uh, the high school, Nova Scotia High School Drama Fest happened every year. I was always very involved in that. Um, but uh, I, school and me uh, towards the end, I, I actually dropped out of high school. I never finished. Um, uh, I, I had all my arts and humanities courses and then I had to take all these science and math courses that I didn't have the patience for when I was younger. And so, unfortunately, I dropped out and um, I traveled around Canada. I lived in the West Coast, uh, mostly skateboarding. Um, like I was a competitive skateboarder for a while, um, mm -hmm. not professional. Um, and uh, just working in kitchens and stuff. And then I was in Whistler, BC when I was like, I, why, I, what am I missing in my life? And I, I remembered loving and doing that. And I decided to go back to Halifax uh, and, and see what I could do about going to university. And 
uh, at 24, I was accepted at Dalhousie as a mature student. <laughs> mature at 24. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and they let me in and I got an honors degree in theater and went on to get a master's of fine arts in acting at York University later. So, um, How was um, Dal? Uh, Dal, it, it was good. It was a great entry into the world of acting because it's i'm not sure now but when i went there it was very classically based uh we took ballet and jazz dance what yeah man <laughs> we wore tights black tights for every class uh, very uh traditional voice classes and mostly shakespearean acting which i oh. i really appreciate it because now shakespeare is my thing like i teach shakespeare here in ukraine shakespearean acting and i love shakespeare and then when I went to York University, that's where I learned more naturalism and, and you know, kind of the what other side of acting. Hmm? What was naturalism? Um, just more filmic acting, you know, um, more. Not, it's not like method acting, but it, it's kind of on its way there. Um, it's mm -hmm. less about representation and more about, um, you know, trying to get as close to the real emotion as you can, like safely uh, and that sort of thing. <clears throat> Uh, it's and it, it was very useful to have both you know one was kind of working from the outside in and the other one was working from the inside out um, so mm -hmm. if you can't do it one way you, uh, you know you you have the tools to do it the other way uh, so mm. it's pretty cool so you decide not to finish high school and then go around the country doing skateboard and all this other stuff uh how like what was the difference between high school and i guess university that made you not just finish university but actually go ahead to do your masters um it it was like it was just the right decision you know as soon as i took my first acting class in my first year of university i just i knew this is this is what i want to do um I wanted to do something in, on, around, or beside a stage anywhere. Um, I took all the courses I could in theater, like costume. I took costume design. I took technical theater. I took academic theater courses. I took acting courses. Um, mm -hmm. I just loved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And film, film came a little later. Uh, film came when I went to Toronto to do my master's. My acting teacher there, he's worked with some pretty big... Uh, film actors like he taught Rachel McAdams and Scott Speedman and a bunch of other people so I learned a lot about acting for film through him mm. so why did he decide to go to York York uh, it's the only school in Canada that has a master of fine arts in acting um, mm. uh, the, there, are, there are a few of them in the States but this is the only one in Canada so you either if you want to go to the next level in like actor training in Canada, you either go to York and to do the MFA in acting, or you go to the National Theatre School in Montreal. And um, unfortunately for acting, there's a, an age limit for, for acting. If you're over 26 or 7, you, you can't go. And I was at the time, so uh, that, that, was, that, uh, that variable was out of the equation. Why the restriction, though? I I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe they've changed this, but I, I'm almost certain there is a cutoff age, which is kind of a shame because, right. you know, you limit your, your, your acting, like what plays you can do. You know, if you have some older people, you can do all kinds of interesting plays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of having some 21-year-old so, playing King Lear, it's like... Uh, <laughs> why, uh, while you're in Dal and stuff, what are some of the plays you enjoyed performing in? And oh. some of the characters you liked. Uh, I mean, the best experience by far was um, Daniel McIver, who's, uh, I don't know if you know him, he does films and plays. Uh, he's one of Canada's greatest playwrights, if you ask me. He's actually from Nova Scotia, and he came to Dalhousie and did a, a play called You Are Here. It's a story about a woman kind of going through life, um, um, just navigating the trials of life and I kind of played her best friend Richard and it was a magical 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 experience like every performance it, it was it, it, it's it's it, it, it's it's why you you become an actor to do that like as many times as you can it's like a drug uh, and and Daniel McIver directed it and he was really great about telling actors he wasn't trying to get everyone to act the same he was trying to get mm -hmm. each individual actor to uh, trying to get out of them what they needed and what he needed to hear mm -hmm. to do and so 
you know, to hear like, this is your thing, you need to stop doing this and start trying this, and then it works, you know. Mm. Um, and he did it in a way that wasn't, wasn't, didn't hurt our, our, our fragile acting school egos. He was like, you know, you, you do this or you do that. And it was very, it's very practical advice. And it was, it was magical. Um, we also did a, a broad farce by um, Tom Stoppard called On the Razzle. And that was, a lot of fun like you know slamming doors you know whiz farce and it farce is a lot of fun to do um, mm -hmm. and i played a very broad and overblown pompous arrogant um overbearing guy and it, it was pretty fun <laughs> it was the character called uh his name was zangler <laughs> zangler it was set in austria so like a lot of the characters names were uh like were german um, and it was it was set in the uh, 19th century, I believe, mid 19th century. Uh, so the costumes were just amazing, like big hats with flowers and um, <laughs> you know jackets with frogging and big bright uh, buttons. It was it the the costume studies department at Dalhousie is second to none. It, they're they're very good. Mm. Mm. So and then how like the camaraderie with the other artists? Um, in school, mm. uh, very good. It's, you know, you, when you go to a university and you, you have classmates in, in some of your classes, you, you get to know them. But when you're in an acting class with the same people for four years, uh, for nine hours, and then when you're doing plays, like 12 hours, almost a day, you get to know people, you get to know them at their best and at their worst. And, uh, it's, like we're all we're all very close and it's you know we've all we've all moved on moved away to different parts of the world uh s not very many of us are still acting but that's it's just the numbers right mm -hmm. life goes on but we had um a 10-year anniversary a couple of years ago um in toronto and not everyone could make it but it was it was just like old times it was it was it was it was a lot of fun like we're, we're we're very close it's it's almost like family like i have 15 other brothers and sisters um from <laughs> that time oh and then you finish you finish dial and you're like okay i'm gonna go do my masters what was the push behind that what made you decide to take that route well to be honest um you know i wanted to try to be an actor in toronto um not much was happening in the film industry at the time in, in um, Halifax. It's certainly a lot better now. Um, mm. I Trailer Boys had just started, or Trailer Park Boys had just started, and that was kind of the only the only gig in town. Um, and so I wanted to move move to Toronto, but I didn't want to have to find an agent and you know hit, go in cold. So the master's program was two years and you work with this great acting teacher uh, he's not working there anymore but his name's David Rotenberg and he's a, he's a pretty well-renowned acting teacher and so working with him I didn't have to look for agents agents came to see us in plays and so most actors when they go to Toronto they have to pound on doors and, and talk to agents and try to get them so it was just a lot easier uh, for me because I went and I had three different agents come to see my show and I got to pick my agent and uh, it was that that's very rare um, mm -hmm. and uh, so it was kind of to get my foot in the door in Toronto um, and and it worked you know I, I did I ended up doing uh, a, a fair amount of uh, film and TV and some theater there mm. and how was it like leaving up in Toronto contrast to living in schooling in Halifax Nova Scotia well, it's, it's, it's the big fish in the little pond, you know, when, when you're in Halifax, everyone knows everyone. In Toronto, to some extent, but there's just so many actors there. There's so many actors um, from all over the world. Uh, but in Halifax, it's, it's a very tightly knit community. Like everyone knows everyone, really. And even if they haven't worked with them, they've seen their work, they, they know of them. Uh, so there's that element that, that makes it really cool. Um, the contrast to working in Toronto is, you know, on a busy day when I was at my peak, I would be going to, I could be going to two or three auditions in one day, um, mm. and just like going all over the place. There's just more work. Uh, so as an actor, 
that's really helpful because like you always have to be on the ball um mm. and and that rarely happens in halifax but I'm, I'm i'm sure now it's it's probably a lot different like if i if i like when i go back i, I plan on going back um sometime before the fall if if my wife's visa and all that works out um i would like to see see what halifax has to offer mm. <clears throat> and then uh, we had this meet and I was like, oh my God, this guy is good. And I'm like, you know, I'm throwing all these things at you. One, one part you're like good, one part you're the person's conscience, one part you are this thing and everything you knock it out of the park every time. Okay. How do you manage to do that? Um, I, I think, especially with film, um, you you don't let the whole story overwhelm you. You take it each beat at a time and you focus on each beat, each section. And, uh, and don't even worry about the beats before and the beats after. Don't let those inform your choices. Uh, it's a bit different in theater because you, you eventually have to do the whole thing in, in from start to finish. But uh, when I approach, um, when I approach film, you get the chance to, to, to just really get, the microscope at little parts and really kind of wire them uh, and, 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 and try them a couple different ways and get the best take. Whereas mm. the process of theater is, is you rehearse and you, you do that there. But once you've kind of locked something in, it's kind of locked in. There is some flexibility, but with film, I always just, and in theater a little bit, but with film, I just look at the beat. What does my character want right now? What is, what is he doing to get what he wants? Um, it's it's acting 101 but uh that helps it from becoming overwhelming you know mm, 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 mm. um do you what is your process you get the scripts and and then what like like most actors i, I go through and see how many times my character's name comes up <laughs> see if it's a big <laughs> no uh no first first i read i read the whole script uh, like even even if I have a script in front of me right now, I'm doing a movie uh, next week. Uh, it's a feature length, and I have a small part, but I read I read the whole script, so I know I know the tone of the movie. I know all the characters, especially like sometimes a character will mention your character when you're not in the scene, and that's good uh, research to in, insight into what your character may or may not be like. Then mm. after that, I go back, highlight all my lines, and then I start to break down. Um, you know, I take a pencil and I, I'll, I'll write, I'll write sometimes it, it's a bit different every time, but usually I'll go through and what does he want now? How is he trying to do it? Uh, sometimes I might make weird symbols that only I understand some kind of hieroglyphics, like arrows pointing in random ways that somehow <laughs> make a connection in my mind to do something. Um, but ultimately mm. you have to be prepared to throw all that out the window in case the director mm. wants something completely different. Yeah. 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 You know, and then you know you do all this prep work. You get to the set. Then what? <clears throat> um, then it's it's trying to remain um, as relaxed as you can because there's a lot of standing around. And you know if you get too anxious, if the anxiety builds up, and then you go in front of the camera, it, you know it it can kind of kill the performance uh, like I like to try to stay as relaxed as possible usually for me that ends up coming out with trying to make a couple jokes to re relieve some of my nervous tension um, mm. uh, and then uh, I really like talking to directors a lot but in film there's usually not the time because the director's busy with the lighting you know the DOP and stuff like that um, so I, I usually try to get as much as I can. And like w with you, we did rehearsals, which is great. And I, and I really, I, I love, I love rehearsals almost as much as I love performing. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> Personally, I feel like, you know, um, you write this thing and you're asking this person to portray this thing that might be them, might not be them, whatever. But, um, you know, giving, like, giving them that time to like just play and enjoy this person and bring or interpret what they see in this character is like great. Like, I, I mean, I think I cheat when I direct because like all I have to do is make sure I cast the right person and then my job is done. <laughs> I think yeah, that, 
because then you can deal then you have to deal with the dop and the you know the grips and you know stuff like that yeah um yeah and and i think i think that's great i've never really directed anything but i would hope that that's the way i would i would go about it um <laughs> you know give give the actors room to try things you know because maybe they have better ideas than i do you know mm. Mm. like yeah. you know i mean i understand the directors that feel threatened or whatever but like you trusting this person to bring this vision you have to life like why would you trust as in if you've trusted them this far why not go all the way right because they don't want to look like shit anyway right mm. so like you know at least give them the benefit of the doubt see what they bring to the to the role and see how they try to interpret this thing you created yeah. anyway i'm lucky like uh you know um, i remember when we did um tell of a man who whispered to flowers it's like pretty much like one scene this guy's in a flower shop but like he he has to be nice and sinister in one scene and and like i i like how you pull that off how you know when you're when you're tasked with something like that where do you go um like when playing a bad guy basically yeah yeah um yeah. you know you you have to find bad guys don't necessarily hate themselves nor do they really think that they're a bad guy you know um so you have to find something like even if it's not something you personally you know you have to imagine like i, I deserve this or th there's nothing really quite wrong with this or i'm right um but you also have to remember you know bad people i'm sure feel a little bit guilty about doing bad things if they don't then they're you know sociopaths or or whatever but like just regular bad people i'm sure mm. re have regrets so you you have to kind of have a swing of a pot you play the positive emotion this is what i want uh this is the repercussions and you kind of try to swing the, between them but when you're playing a bad guy it's better to almost swing further to the positive because the negative you let the audience fill that in mm -hmm. like some of the best acting advice i ever I ever got was from daniel mciver this this um, nova scotia man and and he would he would just say you're trying to tell the audience something let the audience the, the audience uh, give the audience credit they'll figure it out and 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 that just takes burden off the actor's shoulders if they don't have to mm. telegraph something or you know twist their mustache and i'm an evil man <laughs> you know uh they'll get the context and they'll find it uncomfortable and and that takes most of the way don't don't make it don't be uncomfortable make th they'll feel uncomfortable because of the scene and the context yeah um, so just stick yeah. to your beats and your objectives you know and find find something that that, emo that emotionally connects with you right 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 anyway so you know i'm like hey steven you know what I i'm actually doing a play because i was like i'm finally doing a play and i i wrote something for fringe like yeah sure let's see it and like hey you're the one that you've been doing play let's do a play you're like well no no i'm like actually not in halifax i'm like okay yeah you know you come back at some point like no <laughs> i mean like ukraine i'm like what <laughs> i i can't do the play when i'm in ukraine <laughs> <laughs> so like how did ukraine happen uh well good story uh i mean i was on vacation here uh over two years ago and uh while i was here i i met a woman and uh she was amazing and i haven't felt that way about anyone ever so um when i left we kept in contact and then i decided to come back and visit and i did and uh, we hung out and then i decided you know i i, I you know i got i gotta i gotta try i got you know i haven't felt like this so i made the decision i said i'm gonna move there and then we'll see if it works out and um and you know it did <laughs> Wait, so what is the like uh, process to move to Ukraine? Well, I first like for a Canadian, you can come without a visa for 90 days. Um okay. and then I got a job that um helped because it was an English English teaching job and the school was called the American English Center. So part of their deal is you, you 
the students work with Ukrainian English teachers and they get to work with native speaking um, English uh, teachers. So they, they're really accommodating and, and trying to make sure that these teachers stay. Um, and so I got a job with them and they um, got my temporary residence. They got the ball rolling for my temporary residence permit, so which uh, I have to renew real soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, good thing we are talking now. Um, uh, and how long did it take for that to, you know, for you to get the temporary residence? So I got here December 1st and then after the 90 days was up, I had to go and get a visa extension that was sponsored by the school and then after that expired uh, we applied for the permanent residence and so I got my permanent residence about a year ago oh, um, oh it, it was in was it in June or July oh yeah in, in late June I got it so almost a year ago so like you that's where the ukraine that's where the plane crashed the war is happening that's it right mm, yeah well the plane was uh, which plane <laughs> you're right uh, right one plane the, like was, that that was shot down yeah that was shot down uh it was going over where the active war is yeah right. um and then uh but the the other plane recently was that was in iran but that was a different thing right, um, right, right, right. but yeah there, there there is it's there's a war um going on about i would say 700 kilometers from here uh, that's like not far no it, it is it is it, it it isn't in canadian distance oh. but in, in european distance that's like you're in another country half the time you drive <laughs> 700 kilometers you know um so uh yeah it, it it's you're aware of it but you don't really feel it you know i, I don't I, I i forget all about it until sometimes i'll see on the news that you know a ukrainian so soldier was shot or something like that and then you're like oh all oh, right um, and it's 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 been going on for a long time. And so that was just about where the borderline is, something like this, right? Yes and no. I mean, there's so many nuances to it. Um, basically, the f in in Ukraine, like where Kiev is, where I live, it's pretty much in the middle of the country. And the further you go west towards Europe, the more people speak just Ukrainian. And then the more you go further east towards Russia, the more people speak Russian. And then that also comes into like the cultural identity. Like if like a lot of these places where the war is happening, some of these people identify culturally more with Russia than they do with people who are living in Lviv, which is uh, you know 900 kilometers away or whatever. And so mm -hmm. you have this this demographic people in the same country who who um, speak similar but different languages and culturally some identify with with russia more than they're pro-russian others are pro-european and i mean that's what the the riots were the maidan riots were in 2014 was because um the majority of uh, ukraine wanted to be more european um mm. uh, and then russia annexed crimea which was you know a part of ukraine um and you know that they said they had an election to do that, but it wasn't really an election. And I, <laughs> you know. So, like, uh, how far from Russia are you? Um, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think the closest I would be to Russia might be 500 kilometers, because mm. the border, yeah, maybe five or 600 kilometers. I, I'm not sure. Right. Um, so, you know, I, like, um, does. Uh... I mean, with what is happening and, you know, the cultural identity and stuff and just what is happening in the bigger picture with, with Russia, like with Navalny, is mm -hmm. that how, yeah. you know, all that stuff, how does it affect Ukraine apart um, from the war going on? You know, I, I think they, they look at the injustices that are going on there the same way everyone else is. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, it's it's most people in the West are in shock with with some of the things that have been happening, like with Navalny. Um, a lot of new laws have been passed in Russia that have that are just there to keep the powers that be in power. Like, I mean, Putin has been president since 1999. You know, wow. he was prime minister once, but he was still pulling the strings and then he was president again because then they changed the laws recently that he's allowed to be in power until I don't know, 2028 or something like that. Like, 
<laughs> he's like they don't have it's he's a czar you know <laughs> he's running he's running it like a czar uh, mm. and it's uh so when you see that it's really sad because i mean there's so much that russia has to offer culturally and you know my wife's russian you know it's uh and it's a beautiful country I, i've been to st petersburg and moscow and just beautiful and beautiful people and you know it's sad that um i just can't imagine what they could achieve as a country if they if they had more freedoms to do it you know mm. the other thing i'm curious about being that you're there and also being that you're canadian which is the worst winter though like does it really look as bad as it's on tv like in these movies or it's just exaggerated i here in ukraine it's 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 much worse in halifax <laughs> much worse like you know it snowed my first winter here it snowed maybe three or four times and it would melt the next day and then uh they said that was unusual this year it snowed a couple more times but um it's it's easy. it's compared to like and i've i've been in uh, saskatoon minus 45 so like i, I know real cold so i mean maybe in russia and siberia and places like that yeah you know but here yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty easy winter right 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 um so with this with the teaching english like uh and you also mentioned you teach film how did that come about uh i teach uh shakespeare i teach acting shakespeare um uh that was when i you know i came here and i got i had the job teaching english before i came here um the most pragmatic thing I did in this whole thing was to make sure I had a job before I left for a foreign country. But, you know, I'm not really qualified to be an English teacher. You know, I, I speak English, but, you know, uh, I'm, but I'm qualified to teach acting and, and that's something that I love doing. So I found this theater here in Kyiv called Pro English Theater and it's all English speaking theater, the actors and the students and, and the teachers all speak English. And uh, I approached the um, artistic director and I said, I'm from Canada, I have a master's degree in acting, I would love to teach Shakespeare here. And he's like, oh my God, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so uh, I've been teaching Shakespearean acting to Ukrainian acting students. It's, it's been really cool. You do have to do it all in English or do they translate? They, 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 their, their English level has to be uh, at upper inter intermediate uh, in order to take the courses. Um, I don't think that they check to see if people have that, but you know, I've had one student who was at a much lower level, and she was really smart though, and she would go home and work so so hard, um, and she was she was really good, and I, and mm. half the time she would have to have someone translate to her, in I think they were speaking Russian. I still can't tell the difference between Russian and Ukrainian, but wait, uh, so those are two different languages. Like if if a Russian is speaking to Ukrainian, would they understand each other or just yeah. fly over? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they. I mean, there might be a couple words here or there, but I, for the most part, yeah, I think they would. The the Ukrainians would definitely understand the Russian. Uh, the Russian may or may not, but probably would understand. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of the words are the same word. Um, like like good morning, is the same in both languages. Dobre utro, is uh, you know. So, you laughing at my Russian? <laughs> So, did you have to learn Russian before you traveled there, or...? Uh, I didn't. Uh, I should have. Uh, I mean, I still had a great experience. Um, the thing is, like, in, in Ukraine, and in particular in Kyiv, if you're in the city center and you go into any store, there's always one person that knows English. Not the case in Russia. So if you're going to Russia, you should probably learn numbers so you can know how much they're charging you. Um, and you should probably learn the Cyrillic alphabet. Um, I, I didn't do either of those. Um, but I still I still got, got by, and it was still awesome. Those are those funny-shaped ones, right? Like the... <laughs> like kind of like greek and stuff right some of them do look you like see greek. do you pronounce them as i was like as is written <laughs> you do though it's it's it is it, it's a phonetic alphabet so oh. if you see a letter it's always pronounced the same way every time with a oh. couple exceptions so once you learn what the symbol stands for i can read cyrillic and speak it and it sounds like I don't know what the word is, but I can say it. Uh, and I might be stressing it in the wrong place, but, um, mm. it, you know, I can, I can, I can read. 
um, and I'm, I'm learning a little bit more. So I'm really good at ordering coffee and beer. <laughs> how do you, how do you Re- say that? Mojna malinki cappuccino pajasta. Can I have a small cappuccino? Is that please at the end? What? Was that please at the end? Pajasta, yeah. Pajasta. Yeah, and then uvas jest piva. Mojna bolshoi stakan piva. Do you have beer? <laughs> give, give me a big glass of beer. Wait, do they drink a lot of vodka there? No, no. Oh, you know, so that's just like a thing. It is. I mean, but the thing that I see in the liquor stores the most is is cognac. Oh. Yeah, like Russian and, and Ukrainian made cognac. Um, I see more of that on the shelves than I do vodka. Mm. Um, you know, but I, I, I oh. think the vodka is a stereotype. Right, 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 right. Oh, man, marketing companies here just blind people. Oh, man, this is all the Russians drink. It's a drink of the czars and all that yeah, trash. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is your approach then, like, with teaching Shakespeare when, you know, because, like, now you've gone through Dal, your masters, all this training you've had. How do you now take all this thing in you and then give it to your students? Um, It's... It's kind of it's kind of like how I said I, how I like directors who kind of point out um, you know what you need what each individual needs to work on, uh, it, but in a different way. Like first of all, I have to explain the boring iambic pentameter, all the um, literal terms so that we can communicate. Like iambic pentameter, sejora, feminine endings, all these this terminology to perform the meter of the poetry because it's dramatic poetry right you can't just read it natural um and so i i i um i teach those the abcs kind of and then i work with each student and then i'll i'll, I'll tell them kind of like this is what you you're really good at this i mean it's always great as a teacher to say you're doing this very well it's almost like the compliment sandwich. You always you're doing this very well, but this needs a little bit of work, because if you're a student, it can be very frustrating for your teacher. You know, I remember teachers going, "No, no, no," and you're like, "Ah, I just need something positive." Uh, so I always try to give something positive, like this. This is working. I like this, but it, like, in order to make this work better, we need to mm. fix this. Um, mm. And uh, generally, uh, I do exercises with with the class, but then when I see a student. Um, rehearsing a piece, I'll think of a, a, a good exercise to do with that one student to get the rest of the class to watch. Uh, mm. And then a penny might drop in someone watching too. I, I think there's great value in watching other people rehearse with a director or a teacher um, uh, and not check out. Like, cause just because you're not on stage doesn't mean you can't learn anything. Um, you mm. definitely, you definitely can. And I did when I was young. I was, when I was in acting school, I, I was wrapped watching other people work with teachers and directors. Like I would, Do I would you? go to plays that I wasn't even in and watch rehearsals when I was at Dalhousie. Mm. Um, I loved it. Nice. Do you like so with the school? Are you guys building towards a play, or it's just like come and learn this thing and that's uh, it? The first session I had, um, we tried to do an abridged version of Macbeth, uh, and that was that was pretty ambitious. Even though I edited the script down to something like ninety pages. Uh, Maybe it was even less than that. It was still really, really hard. Um, mm. it, it's just, it's it, you need more time. So this, the second, after that, now I do, we, I assign them each a monologue and, and then two scenes. And so they have time to, to work on smaller bits and, and kind of polish it a little bit more. And, uh, and this time uh, I have a new session starting next week and we're partnering up with... Uh, this medieval weapons maker so he's going to give us all kinds of like swords and stuff so i think i'm going (laughs) to do like a lot of monologues with you know war and you know prince prince hal and henry henry v and once more onto the breach and stuff like that that would be Mm. really cool to have swords and stuff like that with uh so but yeah no it's there's because these are amateur actors and they we only rehearse uh, six hours a week there's just there's we would there's no time mm. um why you were mentioned that your wife and yourself were kind of planning to visit halifax see see stuff here and all that jazz but um you can't right now for one because of covid 
Technically, we can. Well, because you're Canadian. (laughs) Um, But, but, um, oh, wait. Actually, you know what? You can, but yeah, you have to do the 14-day thing. You gotta go to a hotel, yeah. (laughs) So, check it out, though. Um, How's how's COVID been there in Ukraine? It's it's pretty bad. Like, um, it's they don't have the infrastructure that we do in Canada. Um, and, and a lot of people here, the healthcare system is two tiered. So there's government hospitals and there's private hospitals. Um, and, and you have to have a little bit of money to go to the, uh, private hospital or yeah, the other private hospitals and the, the government hospitals are like, um, I, there's no other way to say it. They're literally falling apart. Like, um, the buildings are, they're Soviet buildings, they're old buildings. Um, and the, I don't, I don't know if it's the culture here. Like, you know, we survived Chernobyl. We don't care about this. There, there's most people don't seem bothered by it. They say like they have the attitude, like, uh, I'll get sick. No big deal. Um, and you know, and I'm like, but what about you getting your babushka sick? You know, your grandmother's sick. They're like, "Mm." um, so it's kind of, it's kind of a different approach here than there. And the numbers reflect that. Um, they oh. went down yesterday, two days ago, I checked. And I think there were 5,000 cases in one day in the country, Whoa. 44 million. And then, um, today it was 2,500. So it was cut in half. Um, mm. but I think there has been 45,000 deaths or something like Damn. that. Yeah. Uh, a lot. And I, so you know um there's no like mandatory mask or you just there wear is. mask if you there want there is to. but people don't really say anything like uh, i was on the marshutka today and that's like a soviet style small bus that you take from it, it's bus but it's a special kind of bus um and you know you're supposed you, legally you have to wear a mask and the drivers just don't want to get in the hassle and you know there's three or four people and these are small buses like these are mini buses, mm. right? That seat maybe maybe twenty, um, and uh, the people get on with no masks at all, and it's just like, come on, like what are you doing? Um, the subway's mm. a little bit more um, policed, and I, I rarely ever see anyone on the subway, uh, but the marshutkas, it's uh, it's quite crazy, um, and you know it's a lot of businesses are open that we just got out of a lockdown. Um, so restaurants, everything's pretty much open right now. Oh, uh, wow. You just have to wear a mask, uh, until you start eating and then put your mask back on. But mm. yeah. Yeah. We were doing so well. And then, uh, I don't know. Well, but hopefully, you know, things will get better and people will put things together. Um, but you know, what, going back to when you, you were like, Hey, by the way, I'm in Ukraine and stuff. You also mentioned you were there to workshop a play. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that play? I'm going to let you go soon now. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, I was I was researching a play when I came. Researching, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I wrote a play in Halifax called Sanctuary. Quack, quack, quack. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. It's called Sanctuary. I found it first. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I was uh, I was writing this play, and then I got um, I, I submitted it to Ship's Company Theater in Parsboro, and it got selected to be workshop. So um, I got to work with a director, a dramaturge, and two actors, and work through the play, the work through the first draft, which um, we did. <clears throat> and so then I started working on the second draft, and I and I one of the characters is Russian, so I you know. I, I, I was like, I, I can't in good conscience write this character if I haven't even been to Russia. So I mm-hmm. took this, I took a big trip going to a lot of places, um, but the main trip was going to Russia. So I applied for a visitor visa, went to Russia for two weeks, uh, spent time in St. Petersburg and Moscow, and and certainly learned, learned a lot that, ki- that, that did end up getting into the play but mm. um i'm now working on my third draft and i and now my connection is even more and i'm just making him because i didn't want to make him a stereotype you know i, d- right. I didn't want him to he make drinks him drinks vodka yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is my bear ivan say hello <laughs> ivan uh, you right. know, I, did, I didn't want that and you know also right. he he's 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 kind of a bad guy but i didn't want to be a 
uh, you know, again, like a stereotypical Russian, oh, here's a Russian, here's the bad guy. Um, mm. he, there needs to be something redeeming about him. Um, uh, he's a bad guy who happens to be Russia, but he's not all bad. Mm. Um, and so to make to make it more real, and, and uh, I, I'm hopefully in the next year I can get some sort of um, stage reading or maybe even a full-fledged production, who knows. Um, but mm. that's once we get back to Halifax, that's, that's my goal. My main goal is to get that uh, produced. How long is it going to be? Uh, the play is around 65 pages, 64 pages maybe. Okay. So it's kind of like film where it's, it's usually a film you say about a minute a page uh, and theater it tends to be a little bit longer. Um, so I would say that it'd be about an hour and 15 minutes, a, a nice, mm. a nice digestible play. Yeah, man, you don't want to go to a play of like, when is this thing going to end? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love theater, but I, when it's, when it has to be really, really good if I'm entertained right. for two hours, you know. Like, right, right, right. And there's right. some plays that are three hours. If you did Hamlet in its entirety, that's a four hour play, you know. <laughs> it better be good. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, now, you know, Ukraine is pretty much You've been there two, almost two years now, right? Uh, a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some, I mean, apart from, like, I, I guess we talked about the medical system contrast to Canada. What are some some differences you noticed? Uh, personal space. In what way? You don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you know, in Canada, you you go into a, a place and you see there's people around you. You kind of like you know, if if you sit on the the bus, you you sit if there's a bunch of seats empty, you take you know a, you, three or four seats away from the next person. But here, it'll be an empty bus and someone will just sit right next to you, and you're just like, <laughs> do I know you? Like why? Out of all the seats, you're sitting next to me, and um, you know, like lines are 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 weird here no one lines up so if like right now like um you know for example there's a lot of places that they're only having one person in at a time like the um the pharmacies there so people will just wait outside for their turn to go into the pharmacy but it's just a, a blob of people and you like how do you like, know your turn how do you know it's your turn and <laughs> and basically you have to just ask you say who's who's the last person and they'll say and then you remember who that is and then you're next but it, it, it doesn't stop anyone from cutting in front of you and when you don't speak the language it's hard to argue with them and right, like for right, me it's right. like canadians would form a line they would just form like they're standing okay i'll stand behind you you stand uh but so i no one lines up and i have a theory about that i have a theory that people still remember the communist days when they had to line up for bread and now that they they don't have to line up for bread they don't line up for anything anything yeah but right, uh, right, right, right. and so there's pers personal spaces is, is very interesting um uh just like safety things like you know we went to um a place where there's a cliff and you know it was very you know it was probably you know a hundred feet down if it was in canada there'd be a big fence signs everywhere saying watch out for the cliff and uh, here no no it's nothing you know it's just like you're You, you you don't see the cliff then that's your problem buddy um like there's there's things like that where it like when you first get here you're like oh my god like manhole covers um like you don't step on them here because am i going oh you'll go right in like I, <laughs> you can no youtube way. that and see that and, and, it, and it's a thing that happens and sometimes i like i i and now i'm trained to always at least step on the edge of one and not in the center and sometimes mm. I, i like the whole thing's just and you hear that wow. big metal sound and I'm, it, it's a real deal my 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 wife uh told me when i first got here don't do that and i was like really and then now, now i'm like oh yeah don't don't do that <laughs> oh man scott oh god okay i said i was gonna let you go but i have one more question though um like you know with with deciding to 
move countries for love like how do you know it was the right decision though before you know now you kind of know but mm. back then how do you know kept making the right choice well i i knew it was the right choice at the time i knew that's kind of like what my heart wanted and and i you know it it was a big bold romantic gesture i'm sure but for me i thought well what's the worst that happens you know i get there it doesn't work out I come back. I, I have great. I'd have great stories to tell. I would. I, I've always wanted to live in another country, experience, you know, being immersed in a foreign culture. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, if if that's the worst that you know, happened, the worst thing that happens, you know, it's I still come out on top, you know. So I kind of went into it with that attitude, like. But I just had a feeling, you know, I was like, this is gonna work out. I just, <laughs> it was in the back of my head. But then I, you know, I always told my friends, like, you know, so if it doesn't work out, then uh, mm -hmm. you just come back, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but coming back now uh, is is much more challenging with with COVID and and right. immigration bureaucracy, which you know I'm sure you you're familiar with. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, I, I said I was going to be my last one, but I have a real last one, though. If someone is visiting Ukraine, what should you not do? Apart from standing on, on top of manholes. Uh, what should you not do? You, you, shouldn't, um, you shouldn't assume because people are walking around not smiling. Uh, you shouldn't assume that that means they're mean people. Because we come from a we come from Canada where people smile all the time and Nova Scotia where people smile even more than that. Um, you walk around and you see people like on the street walking everywhere, just kind of very, <laughs> very serious looks. And uh, to someone from, from, you know, our part of the world that can be like, Oh, that looks like a mean person or an mm -hmm. asshole or whatever. You, you can't judge a book by its cover. It's not. And then you, you, you start talking to them and you can just see the faces just, open up and uh it, you see the stereotypical pictures of the you know stern you know tough uh ukrainian or russian uh and and to an extent there is that but they they will they will give you the shirt off their back um and the, you'll see like like someone like just the other day I, I saw like there was a guy who was really really like drunk in public and like he was kind of staggering and like like four or five people all kind of total strangers came helped pick them up and wiped him down and said you know you should go home now uh kind of thing where you know i don't know if i would see four or five people do that in canada you know i might mm -hmm. see one or maybe people might just try to ignore it You're right these right, people right. they it was like like four complete strangers all kind of came together to help out this person mm -hmm. um and you know so they're they're very they're very there's there's a theory um the coconut theory uh that uh, uh eastern europeans are more like a coconut they're, they're hard on the outside but soft and gushy on the inside oh. and uh that westerners uh what's what's the the, the the westerners are like a peach soft on the outside and then very hard pit on the inside and i think there's a little bit of truth to that a little bit yeah mm. well Scott, uh, you know, glad you're having a wonderful time there. And, you, you know, I, I know how powerful love can be because I did the same thing myself. So so I, I understand it. Um, and I uh, hope, you know, things work out. So you should come back soon because I'm writing something. Uh, it'll be great for you to finally do something again, you know, so we can do something again together when you're back. Yeah. Well, really, thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary today. I'm really, really grateful, man. Oh, thank you for having me. And when I get back, uh, myself and Anna will have to go out on a double date with you and Monica. Right, right, right. That would be nice. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I, I might be rude and just ask her stupid Russian questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, she's got to get used to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Scott, thanks, man. All right. Good to see you.